Hey, my name's Ruben, the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. Welcome to our podcast, where you can catch up on all the messages that you might have missed, or you might want to hear again. We hope you enjoy this message. We hope it challenges you. We hope it encourages you. And we hope ultimately that it would draw you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. I am super excited to be kicking off this new series with you tonight on God's presence. And over the next eight weeks, that's what we're going to be focusing in on, is what it looks like to be in God's presence. And as has been mentioned a number of times over the last few weeks and throughout last year, at Crossroads, we have a dream. A dream to be a community of people fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others. And it's not really a a dream that we are looking to complete. It's not a box to be ticked, but rather a statement of who we continually are. That if you joined this community 10 years ago, today, or in 10 years' time, that is the kind of community you would find. And in order for that to be true of who we are, we are continuously looking for ways to equip us as a church community to live out that dream and, and seeking out opportunities to live it out. And so before the beginning of last year, the elders, they developed for us three questions for us to consider, that if each of all of us could answer them, then it would be likely that we would be living out our dream. And they were this, and hopefully they'll be able to come up on the screen. It's, who am I receiving meaningful spiritual input from and giving this to? Who am I personally sharing God's love with? And how am I serving? And, and last year, we took the opportunity to develop our understanding of these three questions through our various teaching series, such as The Good News, The Cost, and Kayarahi, as well as providing opportunities to make these things a reality in our lives, like the launching of our mentoring framework and uh, the continual development of fresh ministries like Let's Talk English. And I guess for myself, uh, the logical conclusion to a year focused on these questions with opportunities to live them out would be primarily that we would be a community more confident in our dream, right? Living that out. And that has been true in, in many ways. And we're really excited to further develop what these three questions look like for us in 2023. And, and we're excited to share how we're going to do that over the next few weeks. But something else also took place. Something that should have been a no-brainer, but for me, it wasn't like the primary fruit I was thinking about when we were pursuing these three questions. And that is the fact that God showed up. God showed up. If you came along to any of our prayer meetings last year, especially in the second half of the year as we made more space for God to speak, man, a sense of God's presence was so tangible on those nights. And the things that he did and said on those nights through the people who were present It was just incredible. It was a true blessing. And so we look forward to starting those back up in March and further developing what they look like out of our time here in this series. But that wasn't the only place where this took place. In many of our services, in the lives of our people, in um, many of our ministries, things like our connect groups, God was clearly speaking. And that makes sense. That makes sense. Of course, he would. If you've been around this place for for the last few years, you'll know that one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through to 47, which is this beautiful picture of what the early church looked like and what they got up to. And our dream is essentially a condensed version of this passage. It says this, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, these people were fully committed to following Jesus, actively sharing his love and serving others. And what happened? God showed up. He showed up and he added to their fellowship daily those who were being saved. And so this is an idea of what it looks like to be a church, right? And so when we look like this, it's likely that God would also clearly be in our midst, moving, speaking, and changing lives. And so, though we are really excited to continue to pursue the three questions this year, we first just want to take some time to pause and acknowledge what God is doing in this community, how He has responded, and better equip ourselves for what this means. You know, what does it mean to be in God's presence? What might it look like? Where might we find these sorts of moments? As God continues to make himself known to us, we want to take the next eight weeks to build our confidence in this concept of God's presence so that we might be better equipped for what God does with us in the future. And so we've chosen seven different places found across the scriptures where God makes himself known through his presence to give us a fuller picture of what this might look like. Now, of course, there are far more than seven examples of this in the Bible, right? And, but it would take us all year to go through them all as God is a regular part of the lives of his people. But we reckon with these seven, we can build a well-rounded view of God's presence. And for me personally, though I've now been involved in ministry for around a decade, this concept of being in God's presence is something that an exciting part of my journey that really didn't take place till much later. It's been a much more recent part of my story. You see, as I've mentioned in previous sermons, I come from a fairly conservative Christian background where anything spiritual or miraculous had a logical explanation. There's some way that we could answer what was going on. That as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit would seal us for salvation when we believed that Jesus had died for us and then would convict us of, of any sin, any wrongdoing uh, that was in our lives. But that was really about it. Any miracles, spiritual gifts, or any tangible sense of God's presence, it was believed that that just didn't happen anymore. It was believed that when the Bible was complete, those things all faded with the apostles and so they were no longer needed. And so we had this real subdued idea of who the Holy Spirit was and what he could do. Fortunately, though, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than any human idea or beliefs of a group. And so as I tried to earnestly and openly seek God, uh, he began to reveal to me that what I had known and been taught didn't really line up with what was actually most likely true. And as he began to reveal himself more and more to me, I began to see some, some big tensions between what I had been taught versus what I was now seeing in the scriptures when I tried to read them without that lens that had been taught to me. And, and there were some big tensions between what I'd been taught versus what I was actually seeing and experiencing through the Holy Spirit. And so I, I almost had to completely rebuild my faith. Um, and I'd almost, at this point, finished a degree, um, a bachelor's degree in theology, yet I was just learning what it meant to be in God's presence. 
And so I needed to do a lot of stripping back, a lot of rebuilding of my faith in theology to, to make sense of, of what God was revealing to me. And doing so, it puts you in quite a vulnerable position, right? Because you're having to admit that what you were so sure of for so long wasn't actually true. And so how do you rebuild again without falling for something else that might be false? And so a process like this, it brings up a lot of questions, it brings up a lot of doubts, it brings up a lot of skepticism, but it was passages like the one that we're going to look at in just a moment where it really encouraged me on this journey. Passages like this where I learned so much about God's presence and what it looks like for a person to seek God and for God to just be with a person and, and, and to have faith in God. And so I'd really love to share it with you tonight. I'd really love for us to take some time looking at it. And, and so we're going right back to the start of the Bible tonight, back to Genesis chapter 15, where God has called a man named Abram and his family to leave their home and go to a foreign land, which God declares will be Abram's. And, and God also declares that he will build Abram into a great nation. And as God blesses Abram, the surrounding people, they begin to notice. And in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, the king of Sodom, he tries to give um, a whole bunch of goods recovered from an intense rescue mission to Abram to say thank you for helping him out. But Abram says, no, if anyone is going to bless me, it'll be God. And so I don't want to take away any of it. And so where we find ourselves in chapter 15 is God recognizing Abram, declaring that he's going to rely on God, and, and God confirms with Ab Abram just how he's going to bless him. And so this is what it says in Genesis uh, chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Uh, feel free to follow along on your phones, your Bibles, and the verses will also be on the screen. And this is what it says. It says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle, and he laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. 
After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. The land now occupied by the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cabmanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. So a bit of a mouthful there at the end of the passage. But one thing I just want to first of all recognize is that this passage might feel a little bit disconnected, right? It may feel a little foreign to us and that it seems like a very specific way that God met with Abram a very long time ago. In fact, almost 4,000 years ago. So what, if anything, is here that we could actually apply to us? It feels like any opportunity for us to experience being in God's presence would be pretty far removed from this story. But I think that there's actually some really valuable principles here that we can take away that could enhance our understanding of God and what being in his presence might look like. And one of the first things that I notice about this passage that I find so encouraging is Abram's faith. And I know that sounds like a very typical and expected thing for a pastor to say, right? But uh, it may not be for the reasons you are thinking. You see, God says to Abram, do not be afraid, Abram, because I will protect you and your reward will be great. And Abram questions this because he has no descendants to pass these blessings onto. And so God says, don't worry, Abram, I will give you a son. And we are told that Abram is counted as righteous for his faith as he believes in this promise that is being made to him. But then in the very next set of verses, when God also promises to give Abram the land that he is dwelling in, Abram then asks another question. How will I know that I will possess it? You know, for me, coming late to the game in terms of becoming more aware of God's presence... Sometimes I would look at people who clearly had a close, tangible connection to God and think, yeah, I guess I just don't have that because I don't have the sort of faith that they have. And what I meant by that was like a, a more, more of a blind, no questions asked sort of faith, which I really admired in lots of ways. But for me, since I was having to rebuild my own faith after finding what I believed for so long wasn't actually true, I felt my new normal was to always be asking questions, to always be a little unsure, to always take things a little slower before jumping in. And I felt that being that way was what was hindering me from truly experiencing the presence of God. That if I could just let go and dive all in without ever looking back or asking another question, that I would experience God like never before. But then I found beautiful passages like this one we're looking at tonight, where a man who was counted as righteous for his faith was regularly asking God questions before and after he was counted righteous. What I want you to know tonight is that faith isn't blind. Or at least it doesn't have to be to be counted as righteous, and blind faith is not required to experience or encounter the presence of God. Instead, I have come to find that our faith is often made up of little moments that we come across throughout our lives. That instead of just having one continual moment of faith where we believed it all in one day and we ask no questions going forward, instead we build upon our initial faith in Jesus bit by bit and moment by moment. There are moments, you know, for me where, where God lays something before me and in that moment I still have so many questions and uncertainties about a whole bunch of other things. But if I'm faithful in that moment to that particular thing, I believe God counts that as righteous. 
that I'll get to the other stuff in God's timing, but at the moment, he just needs me to be faithful with this specific thing, and that's all he's requiring of me. We know from Abram's story that there are plenty of times where he is unfaithful, where he has doubts, or tries to do things his own way. In fact, literally in the next chapter of Genesis, in chapter 16, after some time has passed from this, Abram sleeps with one of his wife's servants in order to have a descendant of his own. And this is after God has promised, I will give you a descendant. But what happens there in chapter 16 is not what God had in mind. But in this moment, in this chapter, in chapter 15, when God promises Abram that he will have a descendant, he is counted as righteous for his faith, and God is present there with Abram. I may have shared this before, but I remember a night when I was on my way to a prayer meeting here at the church, and at the time I was feeling pretty exhausted, pretty run down, had a lot of questions and, and doubts running through my mind at that time. And I remember as I was driving to the church, just listening to some worship music, trying to, to grasp for something, right? As I'm meant to be going and leading people towards God, but I've got all this stuff going on in my mind. I remember as I was making that drive and just listening to some music, God just met me there so tangibly in the car. He was just so real, so present. And I felt his peace. I felt his comfort. I felt him let me know that, hey, everything is going to be all right, and I will lead the night. And I will use you just as you are here in this moment. And I can tell you that at that time I was not living in blind faith. But God showed up. He showed up. He met me there in the car. And he just let me know that, hey, it's going to be all right. And in that moment, there was an opportunity for me to trust him, to put my faith in him and what he was going to do. You see, God's presence is not something that is only experienced when we tick certain boxes or we reach certain levels. God can show up in our lives whenever and wherever he likes. Because remember, when we became followers of God, our salvation was not based on anything that we have done, but based on what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so our continual faith and relationship with God after we believe is still solely based on God. We will never be good enough to deserve God's presence, but God is good enough to want to be present with us. And we see that truth time and time again in the passage that we're looking at tonight. You know, after Abram prepares these animals, we're told that Abram has to chase away vultures which swoop down at the carcasses. And a statement like this may seem insignificant, just like a minor detail, but I think it's actually really profound. Because do you know what this means? It means that once the ceremony was ready, God didn't immediately show up. Abram had to wait. He had to wait. Abram had done all the right things. He'd done exactly what God had told him to do. And yet he's ready to go, and God's not there yet. God doesn't show up until nightfall in his own timing. But why does Abram chase away the birds? Well, because he's confident that God is going to show up, right? God asked him to carry out a task, and he has faith that God will come through even though he is yet to arrive. You see, what I don't want you to understand, or misunderstand about me saying God showing up isn't dependent on us is that we can then just really do whatever we like because it doesn't really matter what we do. God will show up anyway. No, that's not, not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is we do what is right. We do what God has called us to because even though he may not show up in this moment right now when we would like him to, we can be confident that he will show up in his own timing. And so we'll keep on pressing on until he does. 
We'll keep on singing songs of praise, even if it feels like we haven't sensed them in a while. We'll keep on reading his word daily, even though nothing has popped out to us in a while. Maybe uh, we'll keep on praying, even if it feels like there's no response. And we'll refrain from doing what we know isn't good for us, even though it may feel right now that it doesn't really make a difference. Because when God does show up, and we know that he will, Every song we sung until he did will have been worth it. Every prayer we prayed, we know he actually heard, and his word will burn like fire in our hearts. And that's a concept that we'll come to know further as we make our way through this series. You know, here at Crossroads, we sing the song, Hymn of Heaven, and the second verse says this. It says, In every prayer we prayed in desperation, in the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear, in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. You know, Abram chases away the birds because he has faith that God's going to show up. And we know from Abram's story that he's not good enough to deserve God's presence, but God is good enough to want to be present with him. And as followers of Jesus, we can trust that God will also be present in our lives. It may not always be at the time we expect or when we would have liked, but as we continue to seek him and seek his presence... In his timing, he will show up. There is no magic formula. We can't force these moments to happen, but we know a good God who wants to be present with his people, who tells us in Matthew that when two or three are gathered in his name, he is present with them. And so we show up week after week singing his praises. We seek him through prayer, through his word, and we build community together with fellow believers because we know that when he does show up, it's absolutely incredible. And because God is faithful, we know that he's also likely to. And the incredible thing about God is that there's not much that gets in the way of of him being present with his people. In fact, he'll often use what we are familiar with and the places we find ourselves to connect with us, to be present with us. And we also see that in our passage Maybe when we read the part where God told Abram to bring these animals and Abram cuts them in half, uh, you may have thought, oh yeah, this is probably one of those weird Old Testament rituals that they used to do. But did you know that what takes place here with this whole thing of passing through the cut animals, uh, this is not a biblical practice. Now, this is actually an ancient Eastern way of forming covenants, one that Abram would have been familiar with, right? God calls him out of the land of Ur. He's, at this point, there is no nation of Israel. The law has not been given. And so for Abram, this is what he knows. This is how he makes covenants. You might have noticed that God says, bring me these animals. And then God doesn't say, and now I want you to kill them and cut them in half. Abram knows what's about to happen here, right? He brings the animals and he just goes ahead and he does it. He kills them and he cuts them in half because he knows a covenant is about to be made. And so when Abram says, how will I know that this land is actually going to be mine? God is saying, right, let's form a covenant. Go make preparations for the way you are used to making covenants. And I'm going to form one with you. Except he does something beautiful, he does something different. Usually in this process, the two covenant partners walk through the the animals together, but God goes through himself. And so this is just purely dependent on God. This whole covenant can only be kept by him. And so it's amazing, right? It's amazing. The, The amazing thing about God is that he'll often meet us where we're at using the things that we are familiar with to be present with us. If we worship with lights in a band, God can show up. If we worship in a small group in our home, God can show up. If we read his word as we eat our breakfast in the morning, God can show up. As we pray in the car, God can show up. 
He can show up in our workplaces where we study. He can show up where we play. He can show up in creation. He can show up in the societal structures that we build or the cultures we form. God blesses Abram and is present with Abram in a way that is familiar to Abram. Wherever we live, no matter what our lives look like, God can show up. And I think that's the reason why when we often hear about the experiences of Christians in other parts of the world, they can sound so different to our own. And it can be easy to jump to conclusions and assume, well, they must just be doing something weird or they just must have something wrong. But no, I wouldn't say that's what's going on at all. I would say that's just God moving and being present in ways that are familiar and make sense to different cultures in different places. And that's what I really love about that passage we looked at in Acts 2 earlier in the message. You know, it tells us what the early church got up to, that they taught, that they prayed, that they shared meals, that they cared for those in need, and they praised God and a whole bunch more. But it doesn't actually tell us how specifically they did these things. We get some examples throughout the New Testament of how the early church did this. And funnily enough, that's often where churches and denominations draw their theological lines, right? Because they disagree on how it should be done. And so I think it's really purposeful here in Acts 2 that it is kind of vague, that it is kind of open. Like, this is how they did it, but we're not, this is what they did, but we're not going to tell you how exactly they did it. And so while we meet here and do a number of the same things as the early church in an auditorium, another group does something similar but different underground in a country where faith is not allowed, and God shows up in both. While we stand in rows and maybe stand a little still uh, while we sing, others dance with everything they've got, and God shows up in both. Whether in a building or in a field, around a meal, in secret or in a crowd, in places of wealth and places of poverty, through different languages and traditions, God shows up. He makes himself known. God is just so keen to be present with us, to be present with his people, and that can come in so many different shapes and forms. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer for. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear or what you might have done in the past. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is so keen to be present with you. So keen. Even the holiest person in this room will never be good enough to deserve God's presence, but God is good enough to want to be present with you. And I can promise there will be times where he will be. As followers of of Jesus, we know that the Holy Spirit is within us, and so he is with us wherever we go. He's always present. But there are just also these moments where he's more tangible than that, right? Somebody a few nights ago gave me this cool illustration where it's kind of like going out to to the ocean, to the beach, and and standing in the water. And sometimes the water can be quite flat and calm, and sometimes that's how God's presence can be. He's just there, um, but it's not like this tangible thing. It's just he's just just there present with us. But sometimes the waves roll in, right, and we get hit by those waves, and and sometimes that's how God also shows up in our lives. It's just these tangible moments where he's clearly there and he speaks. And so I'm pretty sure that those are moments that God puts into all of our lives. They may not always be exactly what we expect or when we would have preferred, but he will show up because God is present in the lives of his people. And so all I want us to take away from tonight is that God's presence is something that we can rely on. It's something that we can trust in. 
And in the weeks to come, we will look at some specifics of God's presence, some things to pay attention to, places he might reveal himself to us, ways that he might reveal himself to us. Like in our passage tonight, we saw that God shows up as a blazing torch when he passes through the pieces of the animal, right? Of the animals. And, and fire is a way that God regularly shows up to his people, and we'll see that throughout the next eight weeks as well. But to start with, let's just come to know the fact that God will be present in the lives of his people. That if you are a follower of Jesus, he will be present in your life. Again, I can't tell you exactly what that will look like or when that will be, but he will. And so keep on coming to this place. Keep on coming and singing his praises. Keep coming to this place and hearing from the word. And regularly read the word for yourself as well. God often speaks to us through that. If you need a Bible, I'll give you one. We've got plenty here to give out, so come find me after the service and I'll grab one for you. And there's plenty of fantastic tools out there that we can use to help us grasp what the Word is saying to us, like the Version Bible app, which can be downloaded for free from the App Store, or the Bible Project videos, which you can find on YouTube, or uh, the Field Guide to the Bible, which we regularly have copies of that here to give out. And so if you'd like one of those, I can order some more. We'd love to give you one. But just get into his word and, and see what he does. Also, keep seeking him in prayer. Come along to our prayer nights when we start those back up in March, but possibly under a new name as we continue to develop what those look like and what they're all about. Or you could join a connect group, even lead a connect group, right? We need more connect groups, more opportunities for people to get together, to learn together, to grow together, to seek God together. Um, and I think, you know, there's just something so special about praying with others, and connect groups is a great place to do that. Prayer is something that we can do on our own, but I believe God also intended for it to be shared. In fact, most of the examples of prayer throughout the New Testament are a group of people praying together. Another thing you could do is you could sign up for a mentor or to be a mentor through our website at crossroads.co.nz forward slash mentoring and, and just get um, linked up with somebody who's able to help you stay accountable and walk alongside you uh, to help you just stay on track to do the right thing. Whatever that looks like for you, keep chasing after God with us, and he will show up. And if it takes a while, then we'll chase away the vultures together because we know that he will show up for us. Like Abram, we are confident that he will be present. And the beautiful thing about this moment is that as I invite the band back up to join us, we now have an opportunity to put this into practice, to sing together two more songs, Two more opportunities to praise him. And as we do that, we can be confident that he will be amongst us because as I said earlier in Matthew, we're told where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there amongst us. But who knows? As we do that, as we sing his praises, God may also show up in a tangible way for you. In a way where for like, like for me on that night on the way to the prayer meeting, you just feel his peace, you feel his comfort. And maybe he just says, hey, Everything is going to be all right. Or maybe he lays something on your heart, something that he wants you to do. Or maybe he answers a prayer. Or maybe he brings healing. Or maybe it's just the simple fact of him being present with you. Because that in itself is so beautiful. And so as we get ready to, to sing these praises to him together, let me just pray that right now might be that moment where he shows up. And if he doesn't, that's okay. We trust that in his timing, when he thinks his best, he will show up in that way. But we know that he is a good God. We know that he wants to be present in the lives of his people. And so if this is the right moment, we trust that he will be here and that he will speak. 
And so let me just pray that this tonight might be that, that time for us. Lord, we're so grateful to, to spend some time in your word. We're so grateful for the abundant examples we're given of, of you being present with your people and just how keen you are to do that. The amazing lengths you go to to be with them, to use things that they're familiar with just so that they can get to know you and, and trust in you, Lord. And so we pray for tonight, Lord. We know that you're already amongst us. We're told, we told that you are. But I just pray that if there's anybody here tonight, Lord, who, who doesn't, has never experienced your presence and has never experienced you in a tangible way, I just pray that if it is your will that you would just make yourself known to them in that way, that you would just bring your peace, your comfort, and that you would speak, that you would lead and guide and direct and lay things on our hearts and answer prayers um, and just come and, and just do that tonight, Lord. But we trust you, Lord. We trust in your timing. We know that you know what is best. And so if that's not tonight, then we're going to keep showing up, Lord. We're going to keep coming back. We're going to keep singing your praises. We're going to keep talking to you. We're going to keep learning from your word because we just look forward to the day when you will be here with us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would move amongst us now, that you would speak to us. But ultimately, we just want to be here with you. We just want to be in your presence. So we give this time to you and we ask to do with it what you will. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or maybe after today's message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find out everything you need to know on our website, which is crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you click subscribe on this podcast so you don't miss out on new content. Thanks for stopping by.